welcome to the Creating Us podcast, hosted by the Office of Leader and Culture Development. I'm Jason. And I'm Shelby. And we're excited to be with you as we go on a journey across the Texas Tech University system. All right, here we go. Shelby, how are you today? I'm doing great. It's a fabulous Monday. I got to watch Lion King yesterday. How about yourself, Jason? Well, wait, you got to watch Lion King. So like the movie? Like the musical. It was awesome. I want to go again. And I just saw it yesterday. But, you know, I'll let other people see it. Plus, (laughs) you know, I may want to save some money. (laughs) Right? Yeah, that can can add up quick. Yeah, but it's worth (laughs) it's worth it. But I do want to call out, you got a haircut. You know what? <laughs> it has, how many meetings have we been on today and no one has said anything? And yet, <laughs> if I miss when your hair is just in, even in a different manner, no, I'm just playing. <laughs> but thank you for calling that out. But you know, it's been a great weekend because, um, or at least this is a great time of the year. Seasons are changing. It's getting cooler. And uh, it kind of came up really quick. We had marching band over the weekend and it was sitting out in those bleachers. It was cold. And yeah. uh, so I have to get used to that again. But yeah, all in all, things are going well. Got to pull out the the bigger jackets before long. Well, we got rid of all of our jackets when we moved down here. So coming from Minnesota, it's not that cold, but we uh, uh, definitely got rid of them. But the sweatshirts for sure. So definitely, definitely. Wonderful. All right. So Shelby, what are we talking about today? What are we what are we doing? Well, we have a special guest. I think I say that every time, but I really do mean it. And it's so great to have these people come on here. But we are with Dr. Jerry Karina from the Health Sciences Center. How are you? I'm doing very well, and I'm delighted to be here. Awesome. We well, can't wait to... So much. Yeah, I mean, thank you again so much for joining us. So as we uh, kind of dive in and we've done these interviews, it's really an opportunity for all of our system team members to learn about all the great leaders that we have. And that's really, that's an easy statement to make because we've been so thrilled with all of the interviews that we've done. But um, Dr. Karina, why don't we just start with Tell us a little about yourself and and your school, uh, which is has gone through some recent changes over the last couple of years and all that good stuff. Well, I would love to share all of this with the with the entire system. We are the Julia Jones Matthews School of Population and Public Health, the newest of the six schools of the Health Sciences Center. Uh, we started out about a decade ago as a Department of Public Health in another school, in the Graduate School of Biomedical Sciences. But through a very generous donation of the community of Abilene and the Julia Jones Matthews family, we were able to become the sixth school of the Health Sciences Center. We've been a school chartered for about a year and a half now. And uh, I started as the inaugural dean here about February 1st of 2023. So it's going on eight months or so. about me, I'm, I'm a second career academic. I've, I've been a public health professional for most of my life, uh, most of my career. Um, did some tours of duty at the New York Academy of Medicine, Columbia University, Island Peer Review Organization, and most recently at the March of Dimes Foundation, we were, we were concerned with uh, giving every baby a, a healthy start. We were trying to uh, curtail premature birth, birth defects, and infant mortality. But I came to academia in Texas at another institution, Texas A&M University, 
where I started as a faculty member and made my way up to department head for health policy and management. When the opportunity came to join Texas Tech Health Sciences Center, particularly a new school of population and public health, I jumped at the opportunity. So as you describe, you know, just kind of your background in the school, uh, very diverse background, what really is the, the mission for the School of Population and Public Health? We are here to serve the population and public health needs of a well-defined constituency. And that constituency is the West Texas region, the 108 counties of West Texas. Public health is different from clinical health, you know, where you have a doctor or a nurse or a nurse practitioner, physician assistant who helps one person at a time and you treat diseases as they come up or treat injuries as they come up. Public health is much more about the prevention of disease and the promotion of health. And we don't generally take care of people one at a time. We take care of them whole communities at a time, sometimes dozens, sometimes hundreds, thousands, even millions. During the COVID pandemic, public health was involved with trying to take care of billions of people at a time. Yeah, so how do you, as the leader, help empower your um, your employees and your team members to go out there and really help those in the public? Well, I, I should not use sports analogies because I don't know sports very much, but one sports analogy I, I like to use is, is uh, I try to run interference. I try to run interference for faculty and staff here. That is, I wanna run one or two steps ahead and take away all the obstacles that would prevent them from doing good work to, to help them. It's, it's kind of a prevention in and of itself there um, that I, I want to multiply the effect that we have and I can't do this by myself, I am here to help others to multiply their effect. So if I got that sports analogy right, running interference is, is my version of trying to make sure that all the staff and faculty and indeed the students at the Julia Jones Matthews School have the opportunity to do as much as possible with as little, with as few obstacles as possible. Mm -hmm. So I want to go back to something you mentioned in really kind of the, the area that we're working, 108 counties. That's so many. That, I mean, it's, it's, it's massive. And, and people, I don't think people really understand. I know even having been here for four years, I'm still always finding something out new about the complexities and some of the challenges that are unique to West Texas. How do you take and how do you craft your ability to lead your team, knowing you have such a vast area that really you want to be able to support and, and help, but again, 108 counties? That, that is a lot. Uh, the, the 108 counties of West Texas is a larger landmass than the state of New York. And uh, New, New York, I spent about half of my life in the New York City metro area, and I never even made it much past Westchester County or Dutchess County, which are the counties right above the city. And the state of New York always seemed so vast to me. Well, West Texas is actually larger than that. 
more sparsely populated, obviously. We have a lot of counties that are, most of the counties are rural. Some of them are so rural that they're called frontier counties. Uh, that's very, very, very rural. And uh, while we have a um, very large landmass, there are generally few people, which actually is the root cause of an awful lot of the public health challenges that we face. But I'd like to turn your, your question on its head a little bit. Uh, the question was, how can you serve something so vast? And the answer is, actually, it's just the opposite. It's just the opposite because we know exactly who our constituency is. Many institutions of higher education have very, very lofty goals to be everything to everybody, to be a worldwide resource, and to expand their footprint beyond the the knowable universe. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate that from other institutions, but we're doing something different. We are trying to understand our primary constituency first and to serve them best. That is, rather than trying to be everything to everybody, we would like to be really good for the people we serve and to know who those people are. Well, first you have to get out there and figure out who they are, what they're about, what they look like, what they care about, what their challenges are. Understand on the ground, the constituents whom you serve. And I, while I've been here only a short amount of time, I've put a lot of mileage on the car. Uh, you, you can't go very far in West Texas without putting a lot of mileage on the car. I, yeah. Yeah. And I've met a lot of people and I've heard directly from those folks what really matters to them. It doesn't matter what I think matters to them. It only matters what really matters to them. So um, while the question is, how do you serve a region so vast? The strategy is you narrow down whom you serve so that you can serve them first and serve them best. Yeah, well, you know, you, you made a, a great point is that there is so many different um, areas that we serve and we're different from, you know, Austin, Houston. And so we need to have that differentiated uh, healthcare experience because a lot of these people can't get to the hospital in a lot, you know, they're going to put miles on the car before they get there, you know? So having that help and having you listen to them, I'm sure is, is amazing and really um, helps them feel seen and heard. Well, there's so many of our counties and municipalities and small villages and places that don't even show up on a map. There's so many in West Texas that have no hospital, no primary care provider, no obstetrician or gynecologist, no health department. So you have to kind of find the commonalities across all the different areas. One of those commonalities is that even though there's not a health department in every county, there is a county judge in every county. That's one of the things that the state of Texas mandates is that there's a county judge. Yeah. And for lack of any other responsible party, for instance, during a disaster, the county judge becomes the leader of the county 
because there's a county judge in every county, there might not be a mayor, there might not be a health department, there might not be a health commissioner, but there's always a county judge. So they have become the de facto responsible parties for the implementation of public health, particularly in times of disaster. There are other commonalities. Most places, most villages, cities, hamlets have a church, have a dollar store, have a county judge. And if that's the commonality you can find across all 108 counties of West Texas, that's where you begin. And that's, it's just so fascinating to, to hear this and just to listen to you, you know, and I think of where I grew up was just outside of St. Paul in Minnesota. We, you know, when you talk about rural, it was, you had a county or two south and you'd see some farmland and that was it. And so then to come down here and hear these stories and learn about frontier counties the lack of available resources, it's, it's amazing. Um, the value and the role your work plays for you and your school and the students that are going through is, it's very powerful. You know, it just seems so big and just so, I don't know, I, way over my head, <laughs> you know, um, it's just a big, big goal. Yeah. Well, we, we, we aim to be as clear and concise and graspable as possible. Most people growing up don't know that public health exists. It's kind of like IT, you know, inter, uh, the, the technology folks. You only notice it when it goes bad. You yeah. only notice it when there's something wrong. When your computer turns on, fires up first thing, and you get to see your email and there's not a hiccup, you don't even notice that IT is there. But the first moment something goes wrong, boy, do you feel it. Well, public health is very much the same way. It's, it's that invisible infrastructure that people don't particularly know exists until something goes wrong, like a worldwide pandemic, like a natural disaster, like the flu outbreak. Um, we, we do work in the background on infrastructure, but over the last three or four years, particularly with the COVID pandemic, we have really come into the forefront. We Public health as an industry has been an organized industry for some 150 years or so. The first schools of public health came about 100 years ago, I think in the 1910s or so, maybe 1915, 16, something like that. So schools of public health have been around for only about 100 years. And we had the same general models and the same general relevance and standing in the community throughout that time period with different, different uh, pandemics or epidemics have, have given us more or less visibility. But in the last three years, everybody knows what public health is. Mm -hmm. That's both good and bad. Um, yeah. <laughs> it, it is in many ways it it puts us uh, puts us in the hot seat quite a lot. Um, but also for the first time, maybe there's some kid out there who says, "I want to grow up and be a public health professional." Mm -hmm. I mean, what an amazing role that you all play. Um, and again, I think that's a huge. Um, it's a very powerful thing. So I want to shift our discussion just a little bit. And I want to get to know you a little bit more. Mm 
Who okay. are your influencers? As you think about how you lead today, who are some of your influencers? Uh, I, I, I've been fortunate to have a lot of influencers, but if, if I were to put two of them out there, I would say that both literally and figuratively, I'm a product of my, my two parents. Uh, they're, they're very different from each other. And both of them have given me a, their gifts for how I treat people and how I view management and, and leadership. Um, my mother, uh, both of my parents really are, are very oriented towards uh, giving and towards people and towards nurturing. And, and taking care of people, but they do so differently from each other. My mother is very systematic. And uh, in, in her world, clarity and, um, and efficiency are, are caring. Her uh, no-nonsense, common-sense approach to understanding problems and choosing the battles to fight and choosing the ones to ignore and letting it roll off uh, is something that has helped me particularly in leadership positions. Mm. And my father is uh, the consummate administrator. He, he, um, he taught me one really important thing. He always said, you don't administer buildings. You don't administer programs, really. Administration is always about people. And that is something that I've, I've carried with me um, it's not that I don't pay attention to programs and buildings, but it's always about the people. Yeah. Yeah. And that is well, such a, uh, important lesson that I think many of us have had to, uh, I'm going to say is probably a little bit too extreme, but I'm going to say relearn, uh, just because of everything that's gone on over the last five to seven years, you think about, you know, where are our challenges? And a lot of times it's people. And so when we focus on those relationships and we focus on developing others, that's when we're really starting to find solutions and success. Um, Shelby, and, I think I interrupt you. I'm sorry, please, Dr. Crane. And I'll go one step further than that. And, and I've, I've been in a career for 30 some years, um, mostly in public health uh, or higher education. And I'll go one step further and say that during the years when I was younger, when I was focusing on my own trajectory, when I was focusing on figuratively climbing the corporate ladder, when I was focusing on advancement, um, I was far less happy and mostly less successful than in more recent years when I have focused almost exclusively on making other people successful. And when you first asked me, what is my role? And I said, I run out two or three paces ahead of people and take the obstacles out of their way. I really mean that because that is my force multiplier. Yeah. Yeah. Well, my question was just going to be, what do you think is one characteristic that all leaders should possess, especially those in the healthcare field? Caring. Mm. Caring is, is not just part and parcel of health care. Mm. You have to care for people. There are many, many other attributes that are really important. Trust, integrity. Mm. Um, 
talent is up there, but not as high as, as some of the others. But caring is the secret weapon. Caring about people, which means getting to know them, getting to know what makes them tick, getting to know what makes them mad, getting to know what would help them to progress, and then executing on that is, I think, the single most important part about being a leader inside or outside of health or healthcare. I just, that is, you can care and still be successful. Mm -hmm. You know, I've, I've heard pushback in, in the past where individuals, you know, as you mentioned, the first part of your career, we were really, you're looking for certain goals. I need to attain a title. I need to attain a position. I need to attain this. But then when you reflect and you realize I'm just not as happy as I probably could be. But when we care, when we shift and we really focus on the, you know, the well-being of others, it's amazing all of the things that can happen. And you can still be successful. I would argue even more successful when you truly care about those that are in your environment, those that you influence and those that you come across every day. There's a good argument to be made for being dispassionate, fair-minded, arm's length when you're at work. And I don't want to take away from anybody who wants to execute on those parameters. I get it. I understand. But that's not how I do it. And that's not what has made me reasonably successful in my career and hopefully successful in this role. Caring about people and putting people first as individuals is, I think, my my fastest best way to success it's fantastic so as we wrap up our time together today dr carino what advice would you give to that next generation those that are aspiring <coughs> make an impact in the public health field what, what would your advice be um I was a classroom teacher. And in fact, I hope to be a classroom teacher again, even as, as dean of the school. Uh, but I was a classroom teacher for a number of years, which was the most, the single most gratifying job I've ever had is, is teaching in a classroom. And I taught a project management class. And I was trying to get across in that project management class to the students, there were a lot of them, um, what, what really mattered and what didn't. And I came up kind of organically over the series of about two weeks with a mantra that I have, I have, uh, I've carried with me. I teach in every one of the classes that I've ever taught, not just project management, because it seems to transcend space and time. And it's three lines. The first is purpose drives everything. Context always matters. And it's all about the people, always. Those are the three things that I think truly transcend um, any profession and certainly in public health, certainly in any of the social services, the caring industry, the health industry, the education industry, purpose drives everything. When you understand why you are doing what you are doing, 
you can get rid of a lot of noise, a lot of useless motion, a lot of drama. When you understand the purpose and you really focus on that, you can make lots of really good things happen. When I say context matters, it always matters. That is, you have to take into account the human element. You have to take into account what people are going through. You have to take into account what other considerations there are. And you have to take into account the priorities that you place on various activities. Just this morning, we were, we were setting up some uh, structures in this new school of population and public health. And um, somebody had mentioned that I had not yet edited the bylaws for one of the committees. And my answer was, I'm not going to edit the bylaws of the committee until after a, a particular date. Uh, when, when we have a, an accreditation site visit coming up. And the answer is, it's not that it's unimportant to edit bylaws of a committee. It's that in the context of all that we have to do, while very important, it is far less important than getting through an accreditation. So understanding the context, not just the black and white, really makes a difference. And my my third line that it's always about the people is just uh, the, the way I work and the way I would like brothers to work around me. I really love that context point. Mm -hmm. It brought up a whole new perspective of one that I haven't really thought of before is that, yeah, I mean, there may be tasks that come to us that are important, but in the moment, are they, you know, or is that something that can wait? And so I think what a great uh, kind of realization for us to be considering. So that's wonderful. Uh, Shelby, final thoughts. Well, I just want to thank you for coming on. It has been such a pleasure um, getting to know you a little bit more. You know, my favorite thing about doing these is is meeting people that I don't get to talk to really, you know, and and just getting to actually know you other than just your position or just, you know, I don't know, you're at the Health Sciences Center, but really getting to know you. And so I just want to thank you for being open to this. Well, thank you. I'm I'm honored to be a guest here. And if y'all ever make it to Abilene, Texas, mm -hmm. I'll leave the light on for you. Wonderful. Awesome. And I was just going to say, next time we're down there, I'm going to, I'll come find you so mm -hmm. we can meet in person. But Dr. Karina, it really was great uh, to spend this time with you and learn more about not only population and public health, but your journey and your uh, career and the lessons so I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of the Creating Us podcast. If you have any questions, please let me know at jason.weber at ttu.edu. Until next time, I'm Jason. And I'm Shelby. Take care.